Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 28, The Coterie. And in this one, the epigraph for this chapter, it speaks about what we briefly touched on last episode, actually, of how there's kind of an interchange between Dragon and Elderling, and they still really don't know what's what, and Fitz seems to be calling the dragons Elderlings, but also dragons at the same time. Yes, He thinks that elderlings is a term that was used for dragons. Mm -hmm. In this epigraph, we talk a little bit about, or it talks a little bit about how the images are sparse and what they do have all contradict each other. So some images show more human-like creatures that just have strange colored skin and eyes, whereas there are some that have them having multiple appendages and dragon claws or wings or more dragon-like features. And so it's really confusing. And the only thing he can think as to why there's not a more definitive like description of them even anywhere is because it might be that it's like horses. Nobody writes a book on what a horse is. You just assume everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Just a basic basic knowledge that people back in that time when they created these scrolls and tapestries knew and lived with. So there is no reason to explain them in depth. Exactly. However, he does stipulate that the only problem with this logic is that if you look on the scrolls or tapestries or art of his time period, horses are everywhere and mostly uniform. So that doesn't hold up to if elderlings were such a normal thing that you saw in everyday life. Why and, wouldn't there be more? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't there be more depictions in general? Right. Not even just consistent, but just more <laughs> surviving yeah. art. And what we know mm-hmm. as re-readers and as you know, people who have been through this and, and kind of studied this and all of you guys know as well that these are depictions of both elderlings and dragons. Yes. Sometimes together, sometimes by themselves, and the people of the time probably have tapestries and scrolls with the events of dealing with both of them Mm -hmm. as separate entities, because they are separate entities. Right. There's probably, you know, King Wisdom meeting with an actual dragon and King Wisdom meeting with an elderling. You know, there's, there's a bunch of different scenes that you can depict between these things, and Nowadays, once all that information and knowledge has been destroyed or, you know, scrubbed from existence, there's a confusion between what is what, and only Elderling survives as long as, as with, uh, you know, mentions of the legends of dragons and things like that. So they're kind of conflated together, put together to mean the same thing in Fitz's mind. Right. And I do wonder if some of the images are trying to depict in like an artistic way that elderlings and dragons are connected that there's more to elderlings than just being cool looking humans and that they're somehow tied with dragons so there's a possibility that it's also a little bit of like abstract art getting mixed in and making things even more muddy but this is the introduction we get to how Fitz and his party is probably viewing the idea of elderlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We come back in uh, in media res, basically straight from the, the action of the last chapter, where he stumbles back through the pillar, and it's 
kind of chaos and a jumbled confusion of like, where did you go? What happened? Let's all rest. We've been up, you know, for the whole day and night looking for you. Right. Night eyes wouldn't stop howling and crying out. And Fitz responds that he hasn't, didn't hear him at all. And he's sorry and everything like this. And this is where my comment from last episode kind of comes in. Cause Kettle mentions after Fitz has gone over the events of what happened to him, she says, well, thank Ida you were dosed with elf bark before you were taken. Otherwise, you would have never kept your wits at all. You say taken? I pressed immediately. You know what I mean. Through the guidepost or whatever it is, they must have something to do with it. A silence met her words. It seems obvious to me, that's all. He left us at one, arrived there at one, and returned to us the same way. But why didn't they take anyone else? I protested. Because you are the only skill-sensitive one among us. So that's uh, comments I made last episode about last chapter is that the elf bark, when we were saying that he was so lucky to have survived and gone through all this, is that the elf bark must have helped him through, which I remembered from Kettle telling him that it's a good thing that you took the elf bark for once kind of thing. (laughs) Right. However, I think that that is a little weird to say because he didn't have elf bark before he came through the second time and he came through just fine. So can still get lucky and have the elf bark help him the first time. <laughs> I suppose it's not <laughs> impossible, but it, I just thought it was really interesting that it had to have been the elf bark and yet he made it through twice. So maybe he does have some sort of talent <laughs> in the skill in some way. I don't know. And here we get a comment Fitz asking if this was skill rot as well. And Kettle making the remark that it's made out of the same kind of material that you're describing the city is made out of, a black stone with crystal veins going throughout it. And he, she asks, excuse me, if he touched both posts to travel through. He says, I think so. And she shrugs. Well, there you are. A skill-imbued object can retain the intent of its maker. Those posts were erected to make travel easier for those who can master them. And again, it's pressing further and she's like, oh, I'm only speculating on what I know. Right. Just kind of deflecting more and more. But that is the in-canon explanation and reasoning that we know. And it comes to light a little bit further later as well. But that's what we know about the skill road and how it's still maintaining what it is. And that's what I was kind of theorizing is destroying all the vegetation that goes across it. Right. Because it is man-made road, has to be clear, level, straight, and kind of just the magic keeps it <laughs> clear, level, straight, and a road. Right. It is really interesting to think that somebody thousands of years ago imbued it with a thought, and now it does that forever. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to wear down like normal things. Obviously, there's a little bit of wear and tear. And it can be destroyed. It can be destroyed, but it has to be a major event to destroy it. It just is really interesting. It also begs the question of what kind of intent was put into building the cities with Skillstone? Like, just be a building or also capture memories? Because I guess (laughs) (laughs) the capturing memories must just be a side effect. Could be. We We have no way of knowing, to be honest. That's true. Because it could have been built purposefully in reverence for the dragon's life cycles. True. If it is an elderling city, dragons retain the memories of their past lives. 
of their ancestors and how they went around day to day and, and those kinds of things through silver, through their, their reproduction cycle and, and those memories and eating their cocoons from the dragons that use the spit or whatever to create those. So the elderlings could have been looking to emulate that in retaining the memories of their past lives and have a rich history in their city. Or, as you say, they could have just been using the technology they knew with this skill stone and been able to build straighter and taller and stronger than other places. Right. And this was a side effect. We, could, we just won't know. That's true. I could imagine this being a side effect because, like you said, dragons use the silver to kind of remind themselves of their past. So maybe that's just what silver does. It just retains the past. and It's a memory. Yeah. Although then that begs the question of why wouldn't it show you the dragon's life or something? Maybe it, maybe it is tied to you in some weird way. I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. I well, just, it's such an interesting concept. The silver isn't dragon's lives in particular. It's when the dragons spit to create the cocoon with the specific like silver laden beaches or whatever that they make them. Yeah. And then the dragons hatch and eat those cocoons. They gain memories and right. then when they drank silver further on, it like strengthened their growth and their, you know, their memory and everything like that, you know, because everything was hazy before. I guess that's fair. I, I just remember that the puny dragons from the Rainwild Chronicles later get more memories when they start mm-hmm. eating or drinking the silver. Because they have an extremely stunted elderly serpents <laughs> who have already started losing almost all of their memories right go in and then a stunted non <laughs> not great experience or environment to grow as dragons cuz you need dry and warm True. and silver and they have i guess kind of warm but super damp yeah. areas with like not a lot of food right so it's a uh, not great environment for them to grow so i can see how their memories weren't expanded upon until they left and had silver and were able to grow and learn on their own. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I just find the whole skill stone intriguing and I have way too many questions about it. <laughs> As with everything, to be honest. That's true. So in the conversation that Fitz has with Night Eyes after explaining all of that and them talking about like, oh, he was howling for you and, and Night Eyes saying, you know, I I was trying to reach you and Fitz responding, I couldn't hear you. Night Eyes does say, I begin to fear, little brother. Forces pull at you, taking you to places I cannot follow, closing your mind to mine. This right now is as close as I have ever come to being accepted into a pack. But if I lose you, even it would be lost to me. You will not lose me, I promised him, but I wondered if it was a promise I could keep. Which I thought that was a a good insight to read aloud and maybe speak on a little bit that Night Eyes has been lonely his entire life. Right. You know, it's something that we talk about with Fitz all the time. Even though he has Night Eyes, even though he has some people that loves him, he's always been alone or felt like he's alone. And it's the same with Night Eyes. In that he's ha- he has fits, but he still wanted to try to find that connection with the wolf pack. Couldn't get it, really. And had to join Fitz with the come to me drilled into his head and all that sort of thing. 
And here, he's finally kind of finding a rhythm. He's accepted into this traveling group. They are looking after one another. They're hunting along their way, just like, you know, a wolf pack would, traveling right. to some destination. And he's finally fitting in. And he's scared of not just losing fits, but of losing that feeling in that pack as well. Right. And I think it shows the deeper understanding Nidus has that although right now they are pack with outfits to bridge the gap between wolf and human, they are not pack. And even if he likes some of them a little bit more than Fitz sometimes, he couldn't stay with them if Fitz wasn't there because they can't understand him. And he, I guess he can understand them, but. I think that's through Fitz again. Right. Yeah. So it would be too much. And then what? Because he already tried to join a real wolf pack and that didn't work. So I'm sure he, much like Fitz, is feeling inadequate and alone. And finally has something that he wants to keep. <laughs> and then poor Night Eyes doesn't even get to keep it. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Has to be with solitary fits for the rest of forever. <laughs> and the fool. The fool's pack. The fool is pack. Ketrickin calls Fitz over and asks to compare the maps. So they bring him out. They notice some similarities, but it is kind of hard to find the exact match and lineup of those two maps because scale is different. It's from a different perspective. Right. You know, one's old, one is made with old objects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with charcoal or no, not even charcoal. It was with uh, reinvigorated ink from thousands or hundreds of years ago or whenever it was. Right. So it's definitely hard to compare, but they do find some similar markings like the road with three branches and runes at the ends of those three branches. One of those is the city, which right. we know is Kelsingra. Mm -hmm. It's made mention that the three branch sort of road marking seems to be the skill road mm -hmm. that is just kind of placed in the mountains somewhere so obviously at one point, this was a very important thoroughfare that went places that seemed to be important. And the good thing about having Fitz's map is once they find one of the tales that looks somewhat similar, they can kind of guess where everything else is and add the runes that were lost to time from Kedrickin's old map. Mm -hmm. And lucky Kedrickin is there because she says that she recognizes some of the runes. I've seen such markings from time to time, she admitted uneasily. No one truly reads them anymore. A handful of them are still known. One encounters them mostly in odd places. In a few places in the mountains, there are raised stones that have such marks. There are some at the west end of the Great Chasm Bridge. No one knows where they're, when they were carved or why. Some are thought to mark graves, but others say they are marked land boundaries. Can you read any of them, I asked her? A few. They are used in a challenge game. Some are stronger than others. Her voice trailed off as she studied my scratchings. None match exactly the ones I know, she said at last, disappointment heavy in her voice. This one is almost like the one for stone, but the others I have never seen at all. Well, it's one of the ones that was marked here, I tried to make my voice cheery. Stone conveyed nothing at all to me. It seems closest to where we are. Shall we go there next? I would have liked to see the city, the fool said softly. I should have liked to see the dragon, too. 
quit right there. But stone is kind of matches up with the quarry, in right. my opinion. Yeah, and I think the reason that it is close but different is because it isn't exactly stone. It's probably something like stone masonry <laughs> or quarry, maybe. Yeah, which is whatever the equivalent would be in that language. Right. So it could just be a different conjugation, which is cool to think about the evolution of the Mountain Kingdom language. Well, it's not even the Mountain Kingdom language itself. It's a different language that they don't use. <laughs> oh, that they use in games. So at one point they used it. And so it's... Or knew something of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy to stipulate that they evo- their language evolved from that. And that's just the old... Oh, you think so? Yeah. Interesting. Because that's kind of how languages work in real life is that yeah. you have a language and then outside entities bring their language to you and that changes how you speak your language see i would have figured it would be more like latin so there's you know a lot of latin-based languages in europe but Mm -hmm. latin is a completely dead language that was kept alive through the church but that was a very odd way of how they spoke latin and it's probably not even correct in their pronunciations for certain things and it's very esoteric and there's a different version of latin that some people like historians have put together that they think might be closer, but it's not because it's a dead language. Right. So it to me, it felt kind of like that where like, yeah, they could be speaking, you know, something that derived from Latin. But if you just looked at a piece of paper written in Latin and you spoke that language, you have no idea what that says or what that means. But maybe you can kind of match up something. I think they're one and the same. I think what you just described is the exact, that's how language evolves. That's how it works. Some parts of it die and you evolve others and some, and the end is completely different from the beginning, but it's an evolution nonetheless because it started there. I, I don't know. I see it. What I'm thinking of, I guess this is what comes to mind when you were explaining what you were doing is like, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain because you have more education in this field. So I could be thinking of like the relationship differently in my head than sure what you're grasping. But I feel like looking at Latin and uh, something else based from Latin are two separate, completely different languages. Right. right but how did it get there? That's not what I'm oh, okay. talking about at all. They're completely separate languages, so similar to whatever this Kelsingra elderling language was and Chiridan. Completely separate. Yes, it could have evolved, but it's missing the 15 different language steps in between. So in my mind, they are completely different, and Chiridan wouldn't have any similar symbols to this Kelsingra language. That's why I think it's like an ancient language that they unearthed. Like, uh, you know, like pictograms or something in caves that they found. And it's like, oh, this is kind of similar to what we based games off and stuff. You know, that's what that's in my mind. It is. It could be related, but they're so not similar that Ketrikin's like, none of us know what they really mean. We only know a handful of the meanings, maybe, because that's what was used in this one game. Right. I don't know. I guess, like I said, 
they're one and the same to me. Just because you're missing a few steps doesn't mean it's not, which I don't think you're saying it's not an evolution. It couldn't possibly be an evolution. I'm just saying that it is cool to see a fantasy book that isn't necessarily that deep into linguistics right? <laughs> show traits of a linguistic world of just language as it goes that there is evolution from one to the next. Yeah. And even if some of it is lost to time, it still is in some ways. I mean, I don't know. We can look at old English and still figure it out, even though it's like really confusing and hard. And there are a couple steps missing between like Shakespeare's time and our language. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not as good of an example because it is somewhat closer than like before <laughs> him. But, you know, like the point stands that, it would. I feel like her looking at the runes that she played versus this language would be closer to, like, if you are somebody who has been somewhat versed in Old English and then looked at English from when they first started writing English, mm-hmm. it's, like, that close of a leap. Hmm. I... Trying to I don't exp- even know if that makes sense out loud. It makes sense to me because I know what I'm saying, but just like my side makes sense to me and I'm probably not explaining it right. I I feel like this to me is more so the elderling civilization collapsed and people who spoke this separate language moved to the mountain area and mingled with the already native language there. Mm-hmm. And they brought their separate words of like, this is a game we used to play and you call these this and these this. So they're completely separate languages. They just have this brought over to them. That's what my my assumption was or thinking of it, which is different from like it evolved from one to another. It's just like this is a separate culture and this is over here in the mountains is a separate culture. One culture collapses and like a couple immigrants came over and said, Hey, now you have pierogies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that yeah. was kind of just adopted, but for that one specific kind of thing. And then obviously that introduction changed and stuff, yeah. but I don't think it's an actual original part of the Mountain Kingdom language because it's not prevalent. That's my thoughts. Yeah. I guess that's how language works, though, is what I'm trying to say. Like, it doesn't have to be that the Mountain Kingdom, like, always spoke this language they adopted it and that's the evolution that i'm seeing like if that makes more sense <laughs> we're very similar in our in our ideas just slight i feel like we're saying the same thing and i'm trying to get you to see that it's the same and you are com- you're I, thinking they're completely different but they're really think, really not think- <laughs> <laughs> it's a long tangent on language anyways anyway i wanted to ask before I didn't know this would become a tangent, but do you think that the raised stones are also skill pillars or are these just like road signs that do not magically transport you somewhere? Because it says there's a lot of them in the mountain kingdom just scattered about. Oh, what Ketrakin is talking about? Yes. I'm not sure because I, I feel like all the skill pillars are made of the same materials, right? So... It feels like she should have recognized it if she has seen these pillars before. That's so, fair. I, yeah, so I don't know. They, those could be just common guideposts in the Mountain Kingdom without the skill connecting them. They could be skill pillars. I just, I don't know. It's hard to say. 
I guess it just, I'm thinking of how like Fitz isn't immediately recognizing that these are in Buck. Right. Like the swearing post or what, I can't ever remember what they call it, but the oath post (laughs) they go to when they fight under, they have that there and he doesn't think of that at all. We're bringing that in because we know it's one in the same but he hasn't mentioned it at all. So maybe it's just because this one looks nicer maybe. and it has been preserved maybe. better. Although that feels hard to believe considering an avalanche destroyed the road it was partially attached to, but who knows? So I was just wondering what you thought about that. I was more curious about what the Great Chasm Bridge was, to be honest, and I couldn't find mention in my quick search online. Probably just a landmark. like Yeah. That's what I kind of assumed, too. It's a horse. To... Everybody knows what a horse is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just kind of wanted to do a search and see if I could find anything, but I couldn't see anything about it. Either way, they kind of mark out this place, Stone. It's the closest to them, so they decide to, at least Fitz offers up the suggestion to go there next. To keep searching for Verity. And the fool is very distracted and... Not really all there, it seems to me. He's very weak, and he just keeps repeating, I would have liked to go to the city. Right. Fitz is sort of writing off the fool's behavior as, oh, he was clearly shooken up about me being lost because everybody kind of shows symptoms of sadness and worry from the day and a half that they spent looking for him and worrying that maybe he died or something bad happened to him. So I think it's easier for Fitz to be like, oh, it's just the fool. He's just recovering. He was really he must have been really shocked. But the fool is kind of acting weird right from the get go. And especially with this repeating of I would have liked to go to the city. And Fitz mentions that, yeah, it was cool. And I would have loved to have stayed and explored. But Verity told me that I had to come to him. So I think that's the only reason I made it back. Well, he says, I think that's why I came back as quickly as I did without more curiosity to explore. Right. (laughs) Kettle's the one who kind of implies that's why you made it back (laughs) to keep you on the road. Otherwise, you would have been lost forever. Right. Like she is all the time. But dour warnings. She does make a really good point slash have a question to bring forth to Fitz to say, maybe Verity purposely put the come to me so strongly in your brain because he knew you would need it to get past the road. And that's sort of like an interesting thought that potentially, potentially he was thinking that far ahead of like, well, he's going to have to travel the skill road and this will help. It's an interesting thought. I just, I tend to believe fits in that it was an accident, to be honest, like spur of the moment. Right. Don't try to kill my brother. Come to me kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Don't put yourself in danger. I need you. (laughs) Could be forethought. I just don't think Verity had it in him during those. uh, I don't think he had time to plan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fitz keeps repeating. I would have liked, or excuse me, the fool keeps repeating. I would have liked to see the city. And I wanted to speak on that. That's why I brought it up again, because... That is what he is looking for. That is his vision of the future, is what Fitz was describing. That's what he has been striving for all of his life. And to have a glimpse of 
the fact that it was true at one point to have seen an actual dragon that would have been half of a dream come true for the fool right some renewed energy some some vision of what he is working towards instead of spending 30 40 years however old he is working towards something that he thinks is going to happen and help right <laughs> it's a long time to dedicate yourself to something that you don't know even know if you're moving in the right direction forward right or if you are going to be the one to see it come to fruition because for all he knows he'll never see a sky filled with dragons he'll just help the dragons come back so it would be cool to see the potential future of what your actions do yeah and then the fool recites some more prophecy from a different white prophet comes the catalyst to make stone of flesh and flesh of stone at his touch shall be wakened the dragons of the earth the sleeping city shall tremble and waken to him comes the catalyst the writings of white demir kettles added reverently she looked at me and for a moment was annoyed hundreds of years of writings and prophecies and they all terminate in you not my fault i said inanely <laughs> <laughs> so this is like kind of the most obvious prophecy we have gotten so far from the fool which makes sense that it is not his own words it is a different prophet talking about fits because t the turning stone to flesh and flesh to stone is clearly about helping Verity finish the dragons or his dragon. And then he awakens the other dragons. Mm -hmm. And when he went to the city, it did tremble and awaken at his touch. So I don't know. It's, it's very obvious, I guess also because we're rereading. Yes. But I, even when I first read this, I could recall this prophecy and immediately know like, oh, this is a thing that was foretold. Whereas some of the other prophecies we get or predictions from the fool, I had a harder time keeping with me or thinking of in the moment when it happened because they were so weird and just not forthright. There wasn't enough information I felt like. So it's fixes, feist, fits, fat suffices. <laughs> Well, I guess that one too, maybe. But yeah, it's just funny how you get to see the difference in styles between the prophets, where I think Fool is more quick-witted with his words and tries harder to make it flowery and not <laughs> as obvious. It could be true. Yeah, different styles of the prophets. Yep. They get ready to go to sleep. But Fitz notices that the fool's hand is warm and gets all up in arms about it because the fool is never warm. So he's waking everybody up. He's trying to fix up the fire. The fool says he's <laughs> he feels cold. And he's very, very worried at the moment. Because it is a scary thing getting ill when it's so cold around you. It is a scary thing to be worried about. Well, not and only it's also his closest friend. Right. And not only that, but he mentioned several times that the fool has never gotten sick before, mm -hmm. at least that Fitz has ever noticed. So it's weird that now he is. And fool 
makes note that he isn't usually sick, but that this specific fever is one that he's known before. He says that he'll be all right, expect the fever will have burned out by the morning, which it doesn't, spoiler alert, (laughs) but it's something that lasts, you know, one or two days, and it's his typical fever that we see over the series. Right. Fitz, of course, is the first time he is experiencing this, and Ketrakin is pretty insistent, like, well, we lost a day looking for you, so we'll move on in the morning, and Fitz is still worried about the fool, so... He's very insistent that, no, we didn't lose a day. I gained a lot of knowledge. We kind of know where we're going to go. We didn't have to explore anything else. I'm going to stay with a fool if he's not fit to travel. And Ketrickin and him are about to butt heads, and the fool kind of chimes in and says, whether or not I'm ready, I'll travel tomorrow. Right. Don't worry about it. Let's all go to sleep. And to be fair to Fitz, I was also kind of mad at Ketrickin for being like, well, we lost a day. Because Fitz is right. He gave them so much information, including the fact that Verity was where he was not more than a month before he got there. Right. So they're close, and that's way more than they would have gotten if he would have stayed on the tr- on the path. And so it is really frustrating. On the other hand, I get that Ketrickin, like, just got renewed hope and is like, oh, maybe I get to see my husband soon. But, like, one of the people is sick, and he's pretty important. And she makes a comment to the fool that I'm sorry, I wish I didn't have to push you this hard, but, you know, we must go forward. And I wouldn't have made it past the mount or into the mountains after Shrewd died if it weren't for you. So just let me know if I can do anything for you unless it's stopping, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. It, It is frustrating because it's like, okay. Clearly, you know that he's a valuable person to have in your group and that he deserves to be treated well. And yet it's like, well, got to move on. I want to see my husband I haven't seen in a while. So it's hard because I get it. But also just give it a day, please. Right. (laughs) At least entertain the idea. I don't know. Fool says he's going to be fine, but does have a request and asks for more elf bark tea that night. Again, some warnings from Kettle about it, but Fitz makes himself and the fool a cup of elf bark tea. Fitz saying, I've used it for a number of years and taken no lasting ill from it. Kettle gave a snort. None that you are wise enough to see, anyway, she said sarcastically. But it is a warming herb that gives energy to the flesh, even if it is deadening to the spirit. I always found it restored me rather than deadened me, I countered. I never noticed dulling my mind. The one taking it seldom does, she retorted, and while it may boost your physical energy for a time, you must always pay for it later. Your body is not to be tricked, young man. You will know that better when you are as old as I. I fell silent. As I thought back over the times I had used elf bark to restore myself, I had the uncomfortable suspicion that she was at least partly right. And Fitz is not going to learn this lesson when... He's closer to Kettle's age. No, he takes after Chade. And also, he never gets close to Kettle's age. No, but he gets closer. (laughs) And he gets close to the age he thinks Kettle is right now. Right. So so there's that. But it doesn't matter the age. Fitz will continue this habit of using 
drugs to get the result he wants now instead of giving his body time, mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate because I feel like Burek works so hard to give him that one good uh, fatherly advice of, hey, sometimes the only thing you can do is let time heal something. And instead he takes Chade's advice, which is if he can get it done faster, who cares about the consequences? <laughs> so Also later on, he is skill healed in his body kind of heals him instantly anyways, which leaves, does leave him weak. So it kind of forces him to recuperate a little bit, but he does take advantage of that as well. So it does pop up at one after another. I mean, that's uh, that was Chades and Birk's warning to him at the end of Royal Assassin or the beginning of this book, beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. They just never took time to rest on his own. Right. Part of their big argument. Right that he relies too much on the crutch of drugs, which is fair. He's like 18 and he's still already regularly reaching for a lot is asked of him. And he is also addicted to the skill, which he was also forced into using. Right. His young life filled with addiction. Yeah. It's really sad. They lay down and Fitz and night eyes try to keep the fool warm. They flank him, and I highlighted something here. He says, the fool says, what works for your kind sometimes does nothing for mine. Is your kind so vastly different from mine? I asked after a time. He had brought us close to a topic we had seldom even mentioned. In some ways, he sighed. But sometimes I surprise even myself. Takes a breath and exhales and moves on saying I may not even be truly ill this might just be something that happens to some of my kind I've been through these changes in the past year before Mm -hmm. he also mentions that I think I am almost an adult now which is interesting because even though the fool doesn't know much about his heritage or what is truly happening to him because the teachers, quote unquote, teachers at Claris kind of kept him in the dark about certain things because they were convinced he was not the white prophet. He's had to learn that over the years. Right. <laughs> but what's happening? And he finally feels, I think he's about 40 years old ish because he's at least 17 years older than Fitz that we know from the Tawny Man when he says in the Tawny Man trilogy. Right. So, at least 37, I guess. <laughs> or 38. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really weird to think about. It kind of makes me wonder, like, if if this is like a hobbit sort of situation where mentally they age as slowly as they physically age, or if you are mentally the age the way you would be if you were a regular human being like at 38 is he mentally it you know seems what I mean? like yeah it seems like from the point of views that we get with b that they are usually smarter or grasp things a little bit quicker right than others but they can't communicate as well just because of their anatomy mhm so 
while it might take like the first few years slower than a human, they seem to rapidly grow past that. I don't know. They have just a different growth period <laughs> and yeah. maturation. I feel like the fool has been more mentally developed than fits this whole time. So I think it's just full, like, I don't know, full body maturation for like for humans, like what, 25 or something is kind of 26 is when averaging your brain between, stops yeah, growing, averaging between men and women. I feel like that's kind of what the fool is hinting at. Like now I feel like I'm kind of an adult <laughs> instead <laughs> like of puberty is over <laughs> instead of being like a kid and being like, OK, <laughs> I'm considered an adult now Yeah. I versus guess. you feel an adult. I suppose. I don't know. It's just an interesting topic because it is a little. I don't know. It does get a little weird at their age difference, especially in the now times to think about the fool kind of having a crush on Fitz. Oh, I didn't even think about I wasn't thinking in those terms, really. But yeah, yeah I, guess I so. think that's where I get like. It feels less weird to me if mentally he's still kind of around the age. And I get that, like, he's smarter than your average bear. But <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me, I don't know. I don't love love. I like it more when they're older because they're both, like, adult adults in yeah, their but 30s. But, I but don't know. We, we know he has a crush on him now. Yeah. And... We only hear, if you're reading through the first time, that Starling insists that the fool is in love with Fitz. True. Right? Nothing has been pushed more than that they're just friends. Right. Right. He's not making any move. It's not creepy on the fool's yeah. end. So I I don't even like add that into the equation at this point, to be honest. That's fair. I think I'm thinking about it because I know we're getting close to the end of this book. And the next book series has the fool carving Fitz's face into a boat. And... Like, I don't know, that feels like deep feelings that didn't just develop while he was away. And so then it like gets into sketchy territory where it's like, I don't like that so much. But as they sleep, Fitz wakes up pretty early and feels like something is off. And he thinks he felt it through the skill, but he can't quite tell what it is that he felt. I do want to point out, because he has a little exchange with Night Eyes, because Fitz gets up, puts on clothes, and is going to go outside. Mm -hmm. Night Eyes asks, going out? And Fitz replies, going to sniff about. <laughs> Which I thought was funny, and I kind of had to reread, because I, I think the first time through this, I skimmed it. Or the first time rereading this, I skimmed that. And I assumed that Fitz asked, are you going out? And then Night Eyes was like, I'm going to go sniff about, which seemed weird to me when I saw that Fitz was the one who was leaving. So yes, just thought it was funny language that once in a while I like to point out that Fitz is always used with dog descriptors or canine descriptors in general. Tells Night Eyes to keep the fool warm and Night Eyes sends him off with a general warning, of course, be careful. Fitz steps out of the tent and extends his wit senses outwards. He's trying to see what is around them, sense any danger, figure out what kind of tripped him up to wake him up early in the day. Right. 
and he senses horses and then riders. Mm-hmm. Then Night Eyes gets out next to Fitz and offers to go check. Night Eyes goes off and Fitz goes to wake Ketrakin. I think there may be danger, I told her softly. Horses and riders, possibly on the road behind us. I'm not certain yet. By the time we are certain, they will be here, she said dourly. Wake everyone. I want us up and ready to move by the light. And Fitz, you know, kind of protests this and says the fool is still feverish. And Ketrakin says, yeah, well, he won't be feverish when they get here because he'll be dead. So (laughs) pack up. And I think that really lights the fire under Fitz's butt and gets him moving. He bundles up the fool and has him stand outside the tent and then works with everybody else to clean things up. And it is interesting that Fitz wouldn't think about the fact that even if Fitz or the fool has a fever, they have to get him out like there. There are people coming and I don't it's just almost uncharacteristic of Fitz. I don't think he's full on protesting her to say, like, no, we have to stay here because it, it does say that. He says it. He says, the fool is still feverish, I said, even as I stooped and shook Starling's shoulders. So he's following her commands to wake everyone up. It's just kind of like, I think, a reminder, like, he's still really sick. Like, Yeah, what do we do? What's our best option? Do we just run or do we try to find a place to hide and stay here? I feel like it was kind of like, remember, we have a really sick person with us. Interesting. Okay, I guess I was... I read it as like a, well, we can't go. What Mm. if they're friendly and we've moved a feverish person? And that felt really out of character. So I don't know why I read it that way. But now that you said it that way, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that makes way more sense. Yeah, it was the even as I stooped and shook Starling's shoulder that kind of shifted me that direction. Right. Well, I guess I figured he'd still wake everybody up, but I I don't know. Ketrakin then asks for some scouting reports from Night Eyes, and Night Eyes replies that, through Fitz, that they are horses, not ponies or jeppas or anything like that. So Ketrakin kind of can kind of surmise that, you know, mountain folk wouldn't bring any horses beyond the mountains at all. They would use one of those previous two. So people on horses, it's best to assume that they're an enemy. Right. She does ask. If they're friend or foe, and Fitz reminds her there's no way Night Eyes would know. And I thought that was really interesting because it shows that, like, there's still a little bit of misunderstanding of how this communication Mm -hmm. works between everybody else. And Gotta think of Night Eyes as a wolf. (laughs) Yeah, because he he is. (laughs) He's still a wolf. He can just kind of communicate (laughs) with me, which is really confusing. And I think I would also get caught up in the semantics of, well, what does that mean? He asks, run or fight? And she says, both, of course. First, we look for a better place to stage an ambush. Then we wait. Let's go. So they pack up everything, get in a line, and start going for it. They start heading out on the road. They eventually get to a place where there was a giant landslide, an avalanche that knocked out part of the road. Right. There's still stone, earth, and everything kind of on this side they have to cross. And at this point, it is now just 
Starling, The Fool, The Jeppas, and Fitz. Yes. Ketrickin and Kettle have been, I don't know, they're just lagging behind. I guess I don't know why they're so far behind. She doesn't really touch on it, to be honest. Robin Hobb just says, Starling led the Jeppas ahead. I brought the fool behind them, while Kettle with her staff and Ketrickin with her bow followed us. Remember, Kettle does walk slower than the others, so I'm sure Ketrickin was just standing next to her and probably wanted to bring up the rear with her bow just in case they charged after. That's fair. So maybe it is just a really a case of really slow walking, although that would have to be really slow because <laughs> they get to the mountain or the rock pile, the rubble, and Fitz realizes he's not going to be able to take the Jeppas and the fool and make it safely. So he talks to Starling and says, hey, can you take him? I'm going to create a path with the Jeppas. And Starling first asks, you know, shouldn't we wait for Kettle and Ketrickin? And Fitz is like, well, no, we don't want the writers to catch up with us. We're just going to go ahead and they can meet us. Mm -hmm. Which is a very good thought, too, because if they are trapped there and... Kettle and Ketrickin are being chased by the riders, then they have a full mountain at their back and no one has crossed yet. And then right. they have to cross a, <laughs> an avalanche that looks old, but is still loose stone. Right. So Fitz brings the Jeppas across then. That's his job. He right. does that first. I would also like to say that In this little exchange that Fitz has with Starling, Starling is continuing to refer to the fool as she and as a her. And it's making Fitz frustrated because that, you know, that's not that's That's not his friend. Yeah, his friend is a he. And so he's really frustrated. But he is like, obviously, it's life or death death right now. So he doesn't have time to argue. So he kind of just lets it go. But there is a response with saying he. Yes. (laughs) Fitz brings the Jeppas across while reaching out and talking to Night Eyes about the horses and the riders and seeing how they're doing. And those riders are pretty slow because the fat one is walking and is tired of riding and pretty quiet otherwise. Right. So as a rereader, we obviously know this is the coterie catching up to them. And as a two time like going back over, I guess not two time rereader, <laughs> multiple time rereader, but <laughs> going over it again here in more detail. The fat one obviously refers to Burl, which is is funny to pick out. Right. It also is really interesting because it talks about how he doesn't say much and is being really quiet and they are going really slow. And so I wonder if they're also struggling with the skill temptation a little bit. Probably. Of seeing the the ghost of the people that walked before them. Or if it's just that he's not used to horseback riding, so he's slowing everybody down. I think it's a little bit that because they are traveling it and have been traveling it for a while. Right. And they are more trained in the skill than Fitz was. Mm-hmm. So they'll have more concentration, have more of that sense of self, as well as the coterie itself to rely on for any strength. Right. So I think it's more so that just Burl is not used to physical activity. That's fair. 
But I also like the idea that they're overestimating their own strength and so that they 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 also have a little bit of struggles. But I think you're right that ultimately it's not going to be anywhere near as bad as Fitz has it because Fitz is very untrained compared Mm -hmm. to those three. My initial thought was they are still in that first stage that Fitz was where but resisting it. So Fitz, when he first stepped on it, wanted to walk and he wanted to walk quickly and walk fast. right? Right. Because it was leading you onwards. I'm under the assumption that the Coterie has the same urge, but they know well enough to resist that, and they're still in that stage. Mm, That's fair. So it affects them, but they can resist it, and they're not lost in the memories. Right. Yeah, that's, I guess, an interesting way to look at it. But either way, Fitz invites Night Eyes to come back, and he says that he can't without them seeing him, so he has to stay and... Fitz has to figure out a way up this rubble by himself. Mm -hmm. So he brings the Jeppas across. It's pretty precarious, but he does manage it. The tension is mounting in this because there's a lot of scree and small pebbles getting loosened. He's very careful going across, but the Jeppas, of course, are just animals. They're untethered, and he's kind of wondering when one of them's just going to slip over the edge and fall off. He mentions also that because of the climate they're in some of the cracks and holes that form naturally between rocks coming together have frozen over and so it looks like rock or like a steady place to land and the very first time he comes across this he breaks right through the hole and has to carefully gingerly take his leg out of this scary hole and then be more careful about putting his full weight on his forward foot mm-hmm. going forward. So there's a lot of tension building and it's a little bit nerve wracking. <laughs> he does mention that at one point he looks behind him to get a bearing of what's going on and realizes that he is just on the face of a cliff. And at any moment, if he makes the wrong move, he is going to go straight down the side and probably won't make it. And so he has to keep reminding himself to not look down. <laughs> Which would be really scary. Yeah. And also, as he's looking back and around, he notices Starling and the Fool. And it's a very difficult task that he set her to manage to lead on a very sick fool who is very delirious. And I shouldn't say delirious, but very out of it Mm -hmm. and weak to watch both of their footsteps to half carry him across all of this loose rock as well. She's kind of angry that he stopped and motions him on. He goes around the corner, still on the rock face, and gets out of sight, but safely on the other side. And since he doesn't see them for a while, he goes back to see where they're at. When he gets there, he sees that Starling was sitting quite still in a patch of scree with the fool stretched out beside her on the stones. Starling, I called to her softly. She looked up. Her eyes were huge. It all started to move around us, little rocks and then bigger ones, so I stopped still to let it settle. Now I can't get the fool up and I can't carry her. She fought the panic in her voice. Sit still, I'm coming. So Fitz starts to move out again towards her, but then stops because things are starting to move with his heavier weight and everything like that. So he stops and says, Starling, lay the Fitz there. 
or lay, lay the fool there, excuse me, come to me, and then I will go get the fool and make my way back. You right. make sure the Jeppas are fine and stay herded together. Mm-hmm. She makes a nerve-wracking way over to, to Fitz. With some pebbles falling in between her steps. Mm-hmm. And eventually reaches to the other side. And Fitz makes a comment here that he has to turn his heart off or he makes his heart cold and relies on his head in this moment. He also made a similar comment when walking the Jeppas up that he had to um, kind of push down his feelings for the animals and just make it to the next step. And it seems like there's a lot of this him feeling like he can't care about the decisions he's making. He has to just do what's right for the moment And I think he does feel bad because he is leaving the fool in this really dangerous spot with no one around. Seemingly limp and passed out. And is keeping himself in safety until Starling passes to him. And so there's this interesting internal struggle that's going on throughout this chapter of Fitz trying to bite down his feelings and not care about what happens next because he has to stay in this moment and focus instead of worry about the feelings that are connected to what will happen if he loses any of these people. And he mentions that as Starling is walking to him, she has these great big brown eyes that seem to be wanting him to help her. And he wonders if she's to take a tumble, is he going to jump over the edge and go after her recklessly and have them both die? Or will he watch her go down and remember those pleading eyes forever? Mm-hmm. But she makes it across and he goes towards the fool. And immediately there's trouble. Yeah. He has to take step after step very carefully and freeze in place because he can feel his foot slipping. He takes an accidental step forward because he has to, to keep his balance and even more rocks start to flow around him and he has to pause and wait an increasingly long amount of time for that all to settle before he can take the next ginger step onwards. He does mention that the gravel is falling worse now, probably because he weighs more than Starling does. So the added weight on the rock is not helping anybody. But he makes it to the fool and notices that Starling at least covered his face with some of the blankets to make sure that, you know, he wouldn't he would be somewhat protected from the cold. But he looks kind of like a dead person right now. Pretty limp. Deathly white of his skin at Buckkeep had taken on a yellowish cast on the mountains. But now he was a terrible dead color, which is a interesting description, but a dead color is what the fit, what the fool looks like right now. Right. He was still warm to the touch, but non-responsive to Fitz right now. And Fitz is asking him, like, hey, you just have to be completely still. I'm going to carry you across. Just don't move. So he grabs the fool, and as he straightens up, this arrow scar in his back screamed. I felt sweat pop out on my face. I knelt upright for a moment, the fool in my arms, mastering my pain and gaining my balance. I shifted one leg to get my foot under me. I tried to stand up slowly, but as I did, 
so the rocks began cascading past me. I fought a terrible urge to clutch the fool to me and run. The rattling and scattering of loose shale went on and on and on. When it finally ceased, I was trembling with the effort of standing perfectly still. I was ankle-deep in loose scree. And that's when Ketrickin and Kettle have caught up and are on the other side, and they look on kind of in horror at the situation that Fitz is in. Right. And they decide to make the journey above him, past him, first, to try to get a jeppa, to get some rope, to try to help him out. Right. And they ask if he can stay there while they go get help. And Fitz nods yes, because he's too scared to even talk at this point. And he has to begin the cruel agony of waiting for them to come back. Perfectly still. And he mentions that, you know, the fool is pretty light. He always has been. He's always been bird boned, as Fitz calls him. And that even though he is a man now, there's no like heavy muscle on him and that you can tell why he always had to hide behind the sharp wit of his tongue because he couldn't, you know, physically best any opponent. And now, even with how light he knows the fool is, the fool seems like he's getting heavier by the second because, first of all, Fitz is still recovering from his shoulder injury Secondly, Fitz is not really the peak of his strongness right now, of his strength. He's not at the peak. He has, before this, been wandering through the kingdom with very little to eat besides the meat that he and Night Eyes hunt. And the arrow injury. and Yeah. He hasn't fully recovered from that. And, and yeah, so he hasn't really been working out on the weekends to be able to do this super easily. Well, and also the two trips across the the rock slide yes <laughs> covered area it said when he got to the fool he was already covered in sweat and starting to ache right from just trying to maintain balance and perfect stillness and not upset anything and be painstakingly slow and careful right like this is already a hard task and fits isn't like peak fits this is recovering fits and he now has somebody's life literally in his hands and he has to wait. And he makes it, obviously. <laughs> no spoiler there, because there are several more books. But he waits, and Ketrickin returns with a jeppa and some rope. And she tells him, do not try to catch the rope. Just let it fall past you, and then grab it. Mm-hmm. So she throws the rope. He reaches down, tells the fool to hang on to him, because... He has to let go to grab this rope. It's a little bit out of his hand's reach, so he kind of has to shift weight to move forward to grab at it. And he again warns the fool, like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. Hold on to me, and I will hold on to the rope. And the fool's just kind of like, well, just make sure you hold on to the rope, and we're going to be good. <laughs> he also is a little out of it and is saying, I think I could stand... And Fitz is like, stop moving. <laughs> Just hold Don't on. <laughs> and then he says, the the fool says, why are you always near when I get into these sorts of situations? He wondered hoarsely. I could ask you the same, I retorted unfairly. <laughs> and so even in the midst of life or death, they're still quipping at each other. And right before Fitz is kind of reaching for that rope, 
or right about to, Night Eyes is chiming in with a untimely conversation, but it is very important information that gets brought up later. My brother, they have stopped where we camped last night. Of the six men, not now, Night Eyes. Three have gone down as you did, and three remain with the horses. Not now. So obviously, like I said, that gets brought up again later. But that is the three of the coterie going to Kelsingra while there are three guards remaining with the horses. Right. And obviously not something that Fitz really cares about at this very moment. Right, because he is reaching for that rope. Right. And he is trying to get the fool situated. The fool has all of the blankets on him, which makes holding him hard, but also moving him hard. The fool is trying to get a grip on his shoulders and is having a little bit of a hard time with the blankets in the way. And Fitz is trying to move around the blankets to get down to grab the rope. And when he finally is able to get the blankets out of the way to get where he needs to, some things start happening all at once. Um, The rocks begin to fall a little bit more in earnest. He's just a little bit out of reach of the rope, so he has to shift more. And he does end up grabbing it as they're falling. (laughs) And as his right foot slips out from underneath him. Yes. And he is able to wrap the rope once around his wrist and hold on. He says he doesn't know how he scrabbled his feet under him, but Fitz did and made a semblance of walking as the hill kept rattling away beneath him. Found himself swinging like a slow pendulum with the taut rope providing him just enough resistance to keep him atop the rattling stone sliding downhill past him. And suddenly he finds himself on firmer footing the bigger rocks and makes his way to the other side. Pretty tense few pages. Yes, I found myself having a hard time putting it down <laughs> to think about the in-depth portions. So it, it just is really good writing in that it gets you anxious about what's going to happen next. Are they going to be okay? You feel tense waiting for this to get over with. A lot of the sequences in this book, in this book particularly, have been cerebral since the raft part i think the river crossing mm. and maybe the escape as well but it's a, it's not very action heavy or immediate in your face tension right and this kind of just comes out of nowhere and really keeps you hooked so i think it was very effective did a great job yeah and had some <laughs> had some uh you know, stakes to the situation. Yeah. And you know what? It does. It is the mark of a good writer when, you know, I already know what's going to happen. And still reading through this time, I was like, oh, no, are they going to make it? (laughs) It just does a really good job of building the tension. But the tension has been released because they've made it to the top Mm -hmm. and they are safe. And Fitz is very shaky and tired Mm -hmm. so while he's recovering trying to sip some water he just kind of blurts out what night eyes said to him six of them and three have gone down as i did he said all eyes turned to me at my blurted words kettle was getting water down the fool but did not look much better her mouth was pursed with worry and displeasure i knew what she feared but the fear the wolf had given me was more compelling what did you say 
Ketchikan asked me gently, and I realized they thought my mind was wandering again. And he says that, basically what Night Eyes said, that three of them have gone down as he did before, and they confirm that it was to the city. Starling asks, how can that be? Kettle told us the signpost only worked for you because you had skill training. And Kettle says they must be skilled ones. And so they come to the conclusion that it is Regal's coterie. Ketrikin pats his arm awkwardly. Fitz, they'll not get past that slide easily. With my bow, I can pick them off as they cross. Ketrikin offered these words. There was irony in my queen offering to protect the royal assassin. Somehow it steadied me, even as I knew her bow was no protection from the coterie. They don't need to come here to attack me, or Verity. I took a deep breath and suddenly heard an additional fact in my words. They don't need to physically follow us here to attack us, so why have they come all this way? The fool leaned up on an elbow. He rubbed at his pasty face. Maybe they don't come here to pursue you at all, he suggested slowly. Maybe they want something else. What? I demanded. What did Verity come here for? He demanded. And this is kind of what we discussed early on, I think in Assassin's Apprentice, maybe the beginning of Royal Assassin. Do they know about carving your dragon? Are they here just for the Elderling myth and support? Was there something else in those skill scrolls that Regal sold off or Galen sold off that they got knowledge for. And we right. kind of think there is, that they're 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 going for something. They think there's something here that will help them solidify everything. Right. So Fitz says, well, Verity is here because he's following the elderlings. And the fool makes the comment that that's what we were all told. That's what Regal said. He spread those rumors and made him look like an idiot for following after the made-up creatures. But why would that mean he changes his mind now? Why wouldn't he have followed him from the beginning? He's still spying on you, you know? And what could make him stop... What could make you, Fitz, stop from trying to kill him and all of a sudden leave off to go to the north? Right. He wants to investigate that. Yeah, it has to be good if you're willing to leave him alive. And I think that goes to show that... Potentially, I th- I think the skilled coterie members know about like the skill dragons, mm-hmm. the like skill creatures you can make out of skill stone. I don't think they know where the skill stone is from or how to get it. I think or that what it, or what that process fully is like. Right. I think that that was in the scrolls all along, but I think those scrolls were one of the first to be sold. So. These coterie members, while they have probably seen more of the scrolls than Fitz, I don't think they got to see that information. There's just other information talking about it. So I think in some ways they have knowledge because otherwise, how would they know how to use the skill pillars? But it's just like Kettle's mentioning at the end here. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So I thought it was really interesting that there is this confusion of like, do they know or are they just following orders? And so my thought process is a little bit of both. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that kind of coincides with, like, as I said, what Kettle thinks here, too, because Fitz is asking, why would they go to the city? How do they know about it? How would they know to go there? What What's going on with that? And 
She suggests perhaps they are far stronger than you in the skill. Perhaps the guidepost spoke to them, and perhaps they came here already knowing much more than you did. She spoke carefully, but there was no perhaps in her voice. It was all suddenly clear to me. I don't know why they are here, but I know I'm going to kill them before they can get to Verity, or trouble me any further. I heaved myself to my feet. Starling sat staring at me. I think she realized at the moment exactly what I was. Not some romanticized princeling in exile who would eventually do some heroic task, but a killer. And not even a very competent one. He doesn't want to rest anymore, like Ketrikan suggests, but he wants to do it now to take out the guards, to scatter their supplies or steal from them or whatever, so they are alone in the wilderness in the cold and hopefully die so he's not even confronting them. And that's his plan. So Ketrikan nods reluctantly to that and thinks, you know, that's probably the best chance. That's a good thing to do. Starling looked ill, he mentions, and he also says the fool had sagged back into his bedding, saying, I should be going with you, he said quietly. I've just a feeling that I should go with you, that you should not, be, that you should not go alone. I won't be alone. Night Eyes is waiting for me. I quested out briefly and found him. He's still overlooking the guards in the encampment. Yes. But this here, I do want to touch on that, what Fool said, because I think it's not a for sure because the Fool, weak as he is, is insistent that he thinks he should go with him, but he's Mm -hmm. not like someone has to go with him. Right. So I feel like it is a dream or something he had, but he, he doesn't know if it's a solid outcome one way one way or the other excuse right. me so from the fool's thoughts here someone should go with him to be safe because otherwise he could probably he would most likely die or fail or something i'm wondering if the fool saying i just have a feeling you shouldn't go alone is the only reason that kettle comes with i think so because I, she thinks he is the prophet and mm-hmm. puts a lot of weight into the words that he says so yeah, exactly. And maybe they were supposed to go together and like this was the moment that she gives him the information and it has to happen this way. And that's what the fool was seeing. Or maybe like you said, it's just kind of he's just feverish and he knows that Fitz isn't good alone on the road. Who knows? But either way, Kettle decides she's going to come with right before that like she announces that there's a little bit more talk about what the plan is to do because Fitz asks for Ketrikin's bow and says that yeah I think I can get one before they even know I'm there and Starling says you'll shoot one without even issuing a challenge I looked into the sudden disillusionment in her eyes I closed my eyes and focused on the task instead I I wanted to point this situation with Starling out because usually I try to make note of how unreliable a narrator Fitz is mm-hmm. with his own feelings and the and the things that he thinks other people think of him. Right. Or how other people view him. But it seems to be fairly accurate this time around with Starling that she is that innocent, except for the fact that he added, and I'm not even a very competent killer. And right. she notices that, you know, that <laughs> that sort of stupid thing. But it does seem that she is very naive in what he actually was. 
right. and who he actually was and had this idealized, romanticized version of him in her head because she thought he wasn't witted. She here is surprised that he has no hesitation that he has to decide that, yep, this is a good decision to go kill these people without yeah. talking to them first. Yeah, I, I have yeah. to do it now so that I can get to them before they notice I'm there. I'm going to be sneaky about it. And I'm not even killing the people that are most needed to be killed. I'm just killing their help and making sure that they're stranded. Right. It's very calculating and cold. I mean, not by far the worst we've seen of all the murders Fitz has been asked to do or tried to pull off. But I almost feel like that's how desensitized the reader comes becomes <laughs> to it because there's not even a thought in my mind of, Maybe he should talk with the guard to see if they'll listen. It's like, no, of course they have to die. And then you get the third party starling being horrified by that. Mm -hmm. Even though she has lived through war and understands that things can't always be fair. Right. And that this has to happen this way. It's still kind of a shock to know that the good guys also fight dirty sometimes. And a little bit further in this chapter, looking back on this conversation, I, I just want to read this passage because I'll probably skim through it later. It says, I thought of Starling's objection and wondered what kind of man would show himself and issue a challenge before trying to kill all three men, <laughs> which is very true. Like, yeah, sure. Stories and songs, you know, chivalrous, you challenge and you fight all three off real life. You shoot as many before they even see you so you don't have to fight anybody. Right. Or not three at once. So right. it is sad because <laughs> because it is necessary, but it's also like just a little bit hurtful to Fitz to, again, have to prove who he thinks he is to other people. And I, I just don't think he likes people knowing him as a killer because deep down, that's not who he feels he is, even right. if it kind of is part of him. Mm -hmm. So he's getting ready to go on and he tells everyone, you need to walk away. Yeah, travel if I, ahead. If I fail, they're going to know that I'm with people and they're going to come after you. So you guys need to go together. He asked Katrickin, do you think you can take the fool? And she says, Yes. And she stands up and she's all tall and beefy like, and is I'll like, I'll carry him if I have to. Yeah. Like, and he's like, yeah, I trust she could carry the fool. <laughs> and like, like, she's so cool. Anyway, <laughs> enough of me fangirling. Yeah. Kettle chimes in. Yeah. Says, kettle I'm, chimes I'm in. going with you. And he's a little surprised by this. And she says, I can probably get two killed before they notice. Yeah. I'm w way better at the bow than you are. She says, uh, give me the bow and follow where I walk. Why? I demanded at last. Because I know what I'm doing with crossing that rock. And I'm more than good enough with a bow. I'll wager I can drop two of them before they know we're there. But she is very good on the slide, Ketchikan observed calmly. And that's kind of that. Yeah. Fitz kind of thinks back to the first time they tried to leave her alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> leave her at uh, jean Pay, And says, well... There's no stopping her, so I guess. <laughs> I guess she's coming. And he hands over the bow. And they start crossing the rock slide again. Kettle going first. He does ask begrudgingly, can you really shoot well? And she makes the comment. She 
A funny smile twisted on her face. She looked down at her crooked fingers. I would not tell you I could do a thing if I could not. Some of my old skills are still mine, she said quietly, which is foreshadowing for what we're going to learn later, that her skill has been taken away. But I found it interesting that she makes that comment here. She can do it because some of her old skills are her own. And so they go forward. And Fitz asks Night Eyes, you know, what's going on? Night Eyes tells him that they're eating and nobody's even keeping watch. Mm-hmm. And the horses seem to be upset by, they have smelled Night Eyes now. They can sense he's there. So they're skittish and uneasy. But the guards aren't really paying attention to that. They yeah, aren't They're used to around. it by now. Night Eyes has been there for a while. So the horses have been skittish for a while. Right. So, so they... They don't care. <laughs> They're not alerted anymore. And they get to a point where they can't go any further without being seen or talking or anything like that. So Kettle kind of stops them and kind of sets up a plan. We have a ways to go yet, but when we get there, let me choose my spot and get my first shot off. As soon as the man is down, show yourself and draw their attention. They may not look for me, and I may get another clean shot. Have you done this sort of thing before? I asked softly. It's not that different from our game, Fitz. From here, let us go silently. I knew then she had not killed this way before, if she had ever killed a human before at all. I began to doubt the wisdom of giving her the bow. At the same time, I was selfishly grateful for her companionship. I wondered if I were losing my courage. Perhaps you are learning that a pack is best for such things. Perhaps. I think that's part of the misconception that Fitz has about courage and things like that, too. Relying on somebody or using people or not using, but having people play to their strengths is not cowardice. No, asking for help (laughs) isn't cowardly. You don't have to rush into every battle by yourself to prove that you're brave or courageous. Right. There is a little passing comment there. Yeah, there is strength and bravery in relying on others. And obviously, you can't always do that, and sometimes it's not appropriate to do so. But in this moment, somebody is offering help, and Fitz is like, oh, maybe I'm a coward for accepting. And that's not true at all. It's, I don't know, it is really sad that he thinks this way, but I think it is a really good example of something to point out of, like, this is wrong, and that's, like, this is why. Just a little a little thought I wish I could whisper in his little ear. Just like, hey, bud, it's okay to ask for help. <laughs> I don't think he'd listen, but... No, he wouldn't. Yeah. He'd be like, what What voice is that? <laughs> the skill. Put up my walls again. <laughs> when it comes down to the confrontation, Fitz says that it was simple. Ugly, mindless slaughter, but simple. Kettle loses an arrow, gets one when they see the other party when the guards see them and as they're diving for weapons she gets another one and the last one night eyes rushes in holds down before fitz can finish him with the sword they go through supplies and fitz tells night eyes to chase the horses down the road not to kill them or anything like that but just chase them really far away right. and night eyes is kind of miffed by that because he wants to eat <laughs> right but you know he gets over it yeah he also gives kettle direction yes which i think is really important because he sees that kettle is staring and having trouble so he tells her hey go through the horse's packs and get all the food you can 
and, you know, get any supplies we may need that we can take with us, just go through. And she does it. And he notes that she had been staring. And I think it's nice of Fitz to have noticed that clearly she needs. Specifically stop her awful staring. Yes. And that that gives her something to do that keeps her mind off of it. It gives a task to think on. And Fitz goes through the guards to see, you know, who these people are. And the first two he turns over, of the three, none of them are wearing Regal's colors. But the first two are very clearly men from Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. They have the features of Pharaoh people. So obviously they are Regal's men. But he gets to the third person and realizes that it's somebody he knew from Buckkeep. And that's kind of hard for him. He didn't know him well, but enough to know that his name was... Tallow. Tallow. Yes. And he had been a servant and he guessed probably went to Tradeford whenever Regal left because a lot of servant serving people did. And he tries to, again, he says he closes his heart and does his tasks because he doesn't want to think on where he started because all that matters is he ended here. And with that, he pushes them over the side of the cliff. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And it is really sad. And I think it's a good reminder that in this, there isn't really like an us versus them. This is the people of the duchy. Mm-hmm. And Fitz knows that it's not super fair that they had to die here because they personally didn't do anything. But they had to die here because of who they were working for and what they were doing. And there is guilt there on Fitz's part that his people or his family's people are dying. So I thought that was really interesting that there's that bit of guilt. And again, the closing off of his heart. And then Night Eyes chases the horses down the hill. And he said he makes a comment that Night Eyes probably chased them a lot further and a lot faster than he needed to, but at least he left them alive. At the end of it, he's horribly tired of all of that and asks Cattle if they should go back and they they head back. He makes the comment that he if he were braver, he would push the stone pillar the skill pillar off the mountain but he's too scared to touch it and kettle makes the comment that she's too scared of it too so it stays standing as they walk their night eyes catches up with them and he goes back and forth between camp and to where they are to lead them because at this point it is pitch black out so it's really hard to see they've made it past the rock area that they had to climb no landslides and as they walk ketrican begins to talk with Fitz. kettle oh sorry kettle begins to talk with Fitz. and kettle asks how long have you been doing this and Fitz doesn't act like he has no idea what she's talking about and tells her honestly that he's been killing people since he was 12 how many men have you killed it was not the cold question it sounded I answered her seriously. I don't know. My teacher advised me against keeping account. He said it wasn't a good idea. Those weren't his exact words. I remembered them well. How many doesn't matter after one, Chade had said. We know what we are. 
Quantity makes you neither better nor worse. I pondered now what he had meant by that as Kettle said to the dark. I killed once before. I made no reply. I'd let her tell me about it if she wished, but I really didn't want to know. Her arm and mine began to tremble slightly. I killed her in a temper. I didn't think I could. She had always been stronger. But I lived and she died. So they burned me out and turned me out, sent me into exile forever. It was so unthinkable to do what I had done, Kettle said wearily. It had never happened before. Oh, between coteries, certainly, once in a great while, for rivalry, for the king's favor. But I skilled dueled a member of my own coterie and killed her. And that was unforgivable. Robin Hobb drops the bomb at the end of the chapter there for new readers. Yes. And it's still a it's still a great passage and a great sequence with Fitz and Kettle there speaking on, you know, the heavy toll those deaths can take, how Chade seems to rationalize it or tried to rationalize it in his head and does offer good advice to a young Fitz there that, right. you know, it doesn't make us better or worse based on quantity. One is enough. We yeah. know what we are. We know what we do. It's not great, but it's what we do in service for the greater good. Right. And it's really interesting to see Kettle grappling with the guilt of the killing of her sister. Mm -hmm. And also the things that happened. And it's really sad. Obviously, this is a trauma response from literally seeing three dead bodies. And she had killed two of them. But... Just the feeling of what I did was unforgivable. It was a horrible thing. And I can't believe it happened. And we get a little bit of insight of I didn't think I would live through it. I didn't. I don't think she set out to kill her sister. I think it was one of the I think like she said, she was angry. Yeah. <laughs> and it happened. And then all of a sudden. That was what had happened, and there was no taking it back. And I don't know, I just, I feel really bad for Kettle, because that would be really hard to deal with, especially on your own, and all your support systems have kicked you out, honestly, for good reason. But also, it's not like her sister did nothing to deserve it. Not that anybody deserves to be murdered. Nobody should be murdered. But like, it's not like she had no reason to be upset. <laughs> there was a little bit of shenanigans going on, but oh, I don't know. Just the reliving of this. And then poor Fitz, as always struggling with death and his role in death and trying to just be over it. He doesn't want to know her death stories because he doesn't even want to talk about his own mm -hmm. and just having to hear this new information about Kettle. But it was really interesting as a reader to get this information dropped on you. I mean, I remember I knew for sure she was probably in a coterie at some point, but I, whenever she's like, I killed a man once I'm like, <gasps> You know, she doesn't say man, but <laughs> I killed someone once and it's like, oh my gosh, scandalous. This is just, she just got 10 times more mysterious. What is going on? 
So well, then also kicked out of her coterie. Yes, she drops it yeah. at the end. You kind and of also, you skimmed over like the important part. Of that. I guess she also got kicked out, but who cares about that? She murdered somebody. <laughs> and interestingly, no one else had ever done that within your own coterie. No, yeah. that that's a huge thing. I think that was an interesting thought to me because it feels like Galen's coterie would have for sure killed each other. You are perpetually linked to your coterie after training. You are connected and in tune with one another so much that you feel each other's pains and things like that. There is no way that under normal circumstances, somebody would harm somebody from another, like from their own coterie. I guess, yeah, because when Regal hurts yeah, one of them, they all feel it. the shock waves. Yeah. Interesting. And that's probably like the least connected coterie that we right, see. Right, true. You know? <laughs> see, that's why I'm like, I feel like they would murder each other. I don't know. But they also aren't like typical. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's wild. Mm-hmm. She has a much more colorful past than we were led to believe. Obviously, we knew she was hiding something, but... I don't think I saw murder coming. <laughs> In your first time through, yeah. Yeah, no. So either. no. She was just a strict old grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us rant about languages and other things. If you want to reach out and send your thoughts our ways to discuss, you can reach us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or go to our website, isfitshappy.com, and reach any of our social medias there. Just drop a, drop us a comment, send us a you know a question our way, anything you want. Let us know how you're doing. See you next week. That's time for your guys's ideas. Emma's favorite part. <laughs> My favorite part. Okay, so we don't have a ton to talk about this week, which is great because it's already a super long episode. I always feel bad when we have long episodes and a lot of people have written in. And so then it's like, well, this is just going to be a doozy of an episode. Um, but this week we have some really interesting thoughts. Uh, the first one coming from Sasha on Facebook who is in response to the question I put out on Facebook about what you think the skill images is like. Yeah, are how, like. They, how they work in Kelsingra and the other elderling cities. Right. Is it unique to each person? Is it just one memory on loop? Is it one full year on loop? Tell us your take below. Yes. So Sasha replies with a really interesting idea that they look sort of like the projections yeah the the hologram of help me obi-wan from star wars you know yes. the original <laughs> princess leia projection yes but they're a loop of the memory installed yeah so like what we were talking about before with uh what's her name malta finding that theater or was yes. it time era finding the theater I it, think was it was malta. malta and where they had like different shows installed and stuff so sasha's talking here about like they did that, like with that music or the dancers, things like that, that technology was used so much that it absorbed and recorded a lot of the lives in the city as well. Right. So there, uh, that was like a really interesting idea. And also they suggested that potentially 
in their mind that being lost in the memories is similar to scrolling endlessly on TikTok, which I got a good chuckle out of because I do that regularly. So, (laughs) (laughs) So next time I am spending too much time on TikTok, I'll just tell Luke that I have become lost in the memories memories. (laughs) it's a pretty good euphemism for that yeah it does bring to mind kind of what i was ish kind of thinking last episode but never it was after we recorded i think so that's why i never brought it up but for rainwilders going into those ruins and seeing some of those memories they don't have tv they yeah they're living a hard life where they don't really have plays They don't, they might have like a book or two, you know, if you're a rich trading company, but you're, you're trading for like goods, money to buy other things. Goods to survive. So so having a soap opera in front of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be way more tempting. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I think anyone seeing that would be pretty engrossed. It'd be pretty tempting to just continue to look, but Maybe that's coming from someone like me who enjoys like benign drama that doesn't affect me or the world on a large scale. So so getting to like actually be nosy and follow a person around and see what their life was like would be prime entertainment (laughs) for me personally. But anyway, it was very interesting to hear the thoughts. So thank you, Sasha, for telling us your input. I do want to take a quick mention ellen also commented on that post on facebook and mentioned that there's can't really disagree with either of our takes either (laughs) mine or emma's because there's just not a lot of information again which right completely agree with a lot of things is just kind of left up to our own imaginations i am naturally an overthinker so i will overthink on these details to death and just never give up the idea that there probably is some type of image I could put in my head of what this is. So it is okay when other people don't do that. (laughs) But thank you guys for responding. And then also we got a message from Amir on clarification of the rules of the dragon, I suppose, that Fitz was correct, that dragons do not stop or Fitz, I looked at Luke, pointed at him, and then said Fitz is correct. So he knew I was talking about him. <laughs> Luke is correct in that he said that dragons never stop growing. As they get older, yeah. As they get older. Um, also, Amir added that they cannot die of natural age. I didn't remember that part, but he says that they were both stated in the Ship of Destiny and Fool's Fate, he thinks, so... I'll have to keep an eye out for like the rules of the life cycle of dragons because I don't remember too much besides the basics. So that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be a common theme throughout a lot of fantasy books, to be honest. Right. Dragons are just kind of this esoteric, huge, monolithic species that rule everything and they never age and never die and they grow forever and they're massive and in in scale and in uh, personality so it seems kind of a consistency across a lot of fantasy books which i enjoy and i like unique takes on once in a while so i don't know kind of give or take there and it also does make sense that they can't die of old age because ice fire 
dove himself headfirst into a glacier. Trying to end it. I yeah. Think. Probably because he was the only one left and yep. that's horrible for him. So <laughs> But it doesn't kill him. It yeah. still doesn't kill him. So they're and pretty tough. And speaking of that time, Amir also chimes in saying that the cataclysm he thinks was stated as a volcanic eruption. Yes. Which I seem to remember as well, vaguely. That, okay, so I remember that specifically being the case for the Rainwild people's dig site. That those people, right. there's a memory of... Because it's under a bunch of like ash or something. And- yeah, so those people show, um, or there, I think Malta touches a wall and it's around the egg, the cocoon. So she sees how... Because she has to figure out how to oh, open the win- the door, they, the yeah. ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she sees that they closed it because there was a volcano coming. Mm-hmm. So there was a volcano eruption, but I don't believe it was Kelsingra. Although it could have affected Kelsingra because they're not super far away. Right. Either way, mm-hmm. there was a volcano eruption for sure, but yeah. we don't know if that's in Kelsingra. Yeah, I, I didn't think that if there was a volcanic eruption, it the center would be Kelsingra or right, right around there either because there's just no evidence of that. Right. So, but yeah, so Amir states that it also was a volcanic eruption and that is the one that the servants knew about and they decided not to do anything to help the dragons, let them go extinct, that sort of thing. Right. And to be fair, I think the, all of the dragon eggs were kind of in one place. I don't know that for sure. I shouldn't, make that as a grand statement but it seems like they had to be born in the specific location of this like special mud there were a i think stated a few locations like that but that like there were a couple popular ones right so i guess it doesn't have to be the only one but there's a potential it was one of the more popular so yeah yeah it's interesting and also for posterity's sake sake amir did let us know that it yes. was rap skull that was br- blamed yes alice blames rap skull for breaking the window in, in the, the tower, tower that verity broke mm-hmm. i had forgotten that alice spends as much time as she does exploring the city to be honest right. in rainwell chronicles so we kind of just filled in that it must have been tamara who did right. it <laughs> i for i don't know why but after Alice gets over her whole like husband being the worst and like falling in love with the ship captain. I kind of forget about her storyline because it kind of feels wrapped <laughs> she, up there to me. <laughs> yeah, she she kind of just falls into the background after that's kind of mm-hmm. that decision is solidified. Right. We'll get which, there when we, you know, yes, we'll talk yeah. about when we get which there. Which also but. makes me sad because I like Alice in general. And then she just becomes kind of like the mom and like the background historian yeah, which, of what's going on. I don't so know. like I would have liked more of her. Yeah, the Dragon Keepers become more of a forefront of like, this is your history and things like that. Mm -hmm. And Alice just kind of like, we got some cool clothes and cool memories and she tries to help them out with that. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, it is very interesting. So thank you, Amir, for the correction and also some knowledge. You're always there for us when we forget. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for that. Um, but yeah, so thank you everybody who has reached out and all the people who will continue to do so. We really enjoy hearing from you and getting to hear what we missed or your point of view. Either way, um, we look forward to hearing it. 